as Steve so eloquently said, my name is Morgan. Uh, if you're newer uh, or you don't know me, I am on staff leading uh, the youth ministries. So as I was growing up, this might surprise some of you, but I was not on the upper end of the percentile for height. You know, I was, I was on the lower end, but, but growing up, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was necessarily on the tail end. And that was until seventh grade, when it seemed like everyone else shot up, and I didn't. And it made me feel like, I guess I don't measure up. I guess I'm not enough. Fast forward to the end of high school, I went to a public high school, and a lot of students at our school went to one of the public universities in, in Indiana, one of the state schools, and at least the school that I ended up going to, they had if, you had, if you hit a certain SAT score, a certain GPA, you automatically qualified for certain scholarships. And it seemed to me like everyone around me got the scholarship. All my friends got it, and I didn't. It made me feel like, I guess I don't measure up. I guess I'm not enough. After college, I was doing youth ministry in college, but after college, I was hired on at a church, and similar to Steve and Donnie here, we had a phenomenal preaching team at the church that I was hired on to. Just so many people who could preach so eloquently, so well. And here I was coming in as a recent college graduate. I felt like, I guess I don't measure up. I guess I'm not enough. This morning, one of the things that I want us to see in the passage is that regardless of how we feel, even if we don't feel enough, God can use anyone. God can use anyone. We are in a sermon series on Acts, and this morning we are in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 31. And so if you have a copy of God's Word in front of you or the Pew Bibles, or if you have an app, you can open it. It'll also be on the screens behind me, but we will start out by reading through verse 1 through 31, um, and then we'll see what the Lord um, would say to us in the midst of, of his word. Acts 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if any if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. 
Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But the followers took him by night, lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea, sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in fear of the Lord. God can use anyone. God can use anyone. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your fear. It doesn't matter the difficulty. God can use anyone. It doesn't matter your past. So this passage revolves around Saul. And we were first introduced to Saul in Acts 8, verse 1, at the stoning of Stephen. And it says, Saul was there giving approval to his death. And the passage starts saying, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples. And so he was coming to Damascus to arrest anyone, man, woman, anyone he could find who belonged to the way of Jesus to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. So Saul was a Pharisee. He was a part of the strictest sect in Judaism. And he was coming to arrest followers of Jesus and then on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with the living Jesus and was transformed. There's a common quip um, regarding this passage that Saul the persecutor becomes Paul the missionary. It's a common common quip, and um, of course, this Saul is the same Paul who wrote um, the majority of the letters in the New Testament, or, or at least over half. Um, But actually, that quip, Saul the persecutor becomes Paul the missionary, actually isn't really right. 
You see, Saul is transformed on the road to Damascus. He is transformed. He is saved. And the persecutor does become the missionary. But Saul and Paul are actually dual names for the same man, both before and after his conversion. He still is Saul, even after he begins going by the name Paul, just like he was still Paul before he started going by the name, that name. So Saul is a Pharisee. He is a Hebrew, and he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a tribe who had in it also Israel's first king, Saul. So he was named after Israel's first king, but Saul is also a Roman citizen. And we don't find this out until later in Acts. Um, Acts 13.9 says this. It says, And Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. And from this point on, Saul goes by the name Paul. So Saul is his Hebrew name and Paul his Hellenized name. He's a Roman citizen and he was born as one. His Hellenized name, Paulus or Paul, he got from his birth, not his conversion. And yet at a specific point in time, he begins going by his Hellenized name, Paul. And we'll get into why as we close. So God can use anyone. It doesn't matter your past. And what do we see here at the beginning of the passage in verse 3? As Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He saw the glory of Jesus, the light of Christ shone for Saul on the path to Damascus. He saw the glory of Christ, the same glory that the apostles saw in the transfiguration. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This light of Christ shone and it broke down the hardest of hearts in Saul. The glory of Christ humbled Saul. And he describes this light later as brighter than the sun. So first Saul saw the light of Christ, and then he heard the voice of Christ. And notice what he says, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. He replied, Get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Notice what Saul says, Who are you, Lord? Saul didn't yet know who he was speaking to, but with the light shining, with the voice speaking, Saul understood the moment for what it was. He understood that it was a divine moment, and yet he doesn't know whom he is speaking to. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And maybe here, Saul, for the first time, realizes that while he thought he was being zealous for God in persecuting the Christians, actually he was fighting against God. Saul was persecuting followers of Christ. He was going against God. And yet God says to him, go to Damascus and I'll show you what you must do. 
He's then told to preach to the Gentiles. He's told to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And throughout Saul's life, for the rest of his life, his testimony is used as a witness to the power of God. And yet, Saul still has to live with the realities of who he was. Oftentimes, if we think of, oh, Saul becoming Paul, we think that Saul just stopped, that, that everything disappeared for him once he was changed, but actually he had to live with his former life. He was saved on the road to Damascus. He was transformed, and yet people still wondered, is he actually one of us? Is he actually transformed? Uh, recently, I watched a, a show on Netflix called Kaleidoscope, and basically it's a show about a a heist. People were trying to steal from a bank or from someone. And one of the interesting aspects of it was that um, there were certain people in place for 18 years so that they could pull off or try to pull off the heist. It was a long con. And I kind of get that impression with this passage that people around Saul are wondering, like, is this just a long con? Is he just playing the part of a follower of Jesus so that he can get in amongst us and arrest us all? Saul still has to live with the realities of his life prior to Christ. And yet, at the same time, his past is not a means of, his, of disqualification for being used by God. His past does not disqualify him for being used by God. A lot of people think, Jesus will save me. Of course, because Jesus will save anyone. But a lot of people think, will he actually use me? Because there's a lot of hurt in my life. There's a lot of pain in my life. My past is too messed up. There's pain that I've caused, pain that's been caused to me. There's a lot of brokenness here. Yeah, Jesus will save me, but but will he use me? He probably wants someone a little cleaner, a little less messy, a little neater. But look at Saul. You can't get more destructive than that. His life prior to Christ, while we don't celebrate it, it was used by God to transform others as a testimony to the power of God in changing a man. So here's a question I want us to reflect on and think about. Do I think my past disqualifies me from Jesus using me? God can use anyone. Doesn't matter your past. God can use anyone. It doesn't matter your fear. In verse 10 in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, go to Saul. And Ananias says, what? No, 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 no. Lord, 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 Lord. He's the one causing all the harm in Jerusalem. In fact, Lord, did you know he's coming to arrest all of us? He's the one I'm playing hide and seek against. And yet, God says, Ananias, I have a plan. I have a plan. I am going to use him as my chosen instrument to reach the Gentiles with the gospel 
So Ananias, I need you to not let your fear get in the way of what I'm doing. Ananias, I need you to not let your fear get in the way. And it's, it's almost as if God is saying, yes, Ananias, that is Saul's past. In fact, that's his very recent past. And yet I need your fear to not get in the way. So I need you to go to him. We all have fear. Fear of what people will think of us. Fear of rejection. Fear of not measuring up. And yet God tells Ananias, I I need you to go in spite of your fear. I need you to obey in spite of your fear. God does not just use the fearless or the overly brave. Look at the story of Abraham and Sarah. God says, I'm gonna use you. And they say, we're, we're too old to be used in the way you're calling us to be used. And yet God uses them anyway. Story of Jeremiah. God says, I'm gonna use you. And Jeremiah says, I'm too young to be used in the way you're calling me to be used. And God uses Jeremiah anyway. Story of Moses. God says, Moses, I'm gonna use you. And Moses says, I can't speak well enough to be used in the way you're calling me to be used. And yet God uses Moses. In spite of Ananias' fear, he obeys God. He doesn't let his fear stall him from being used by God or obeying God. So in the midst of your fear and excuses, will we obey? Second question, is my fear stalling me from being used by God? Lastly, God can use anyone. It doesn't matter the difficulties. If you've been a Christian any amount of time, you know difficulties come. If, we're, if we are seeking to serve other people, to love other people, the love of Christ, the people we're seeking to serve bring difficulties. The people we are seeking to serve alongside bring difficulties. Donnie. The person within brings difficulties, right? Difficulties are inevitable. And yet difficulties, yeah, we see that with Paul, Saul too, right? He's saved, transformed. And at once he begins to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. Everyone's amazed. Everyone's shocked. He grew more and more powerful, baffled the Jews living in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And then after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. Then he escapes, goes to Jerusalem, and what happens? He tries to get in with the disciples in Jerusalem. So so actually the timeline is from Saul's conversion to when he goes to Jerusalem is three years. So he has been proclaiming Jesus in Damascus and in Arabia for three years, and we find out that timeline from Galatians. But, and then he comes to Jerusalem and the disciples say, yeah, I still don't know about this guy. And Saul's like, I have been preaching Jesus for three years. They're trying to kill me over there. And then we see Barnabas. I mean, we don't have time to get in it, into that, but look at Barnabas in this passage. Brings Saul in, tells them of what he's done. And then Saul is in Jerusalem, moves around freely and 
is debating the Grecian Jews and then they try to kill him. Think about what if Saul would have been discouraged by the difficulties? What if he would have stopped because of difficulties that he encountered? But no, just in the same way in our lives, we will experience difficulties when we seek to love people, when we seek to serve people, when we seek to live out the life that Christ calls us to. There's difficulties from those we're serving with, difficulties with those we are seeking to serve, difficulties within, and yet difficulties shouldn't discourage us from what God would have us to do. Third question, are difficulties discouraging me from allowing Jesus to use me? God can and will use anyone. Yes, you. Your past doesn't disqualify you. Don't let fear stall you. And difficulties shouldn't discourage you. God will use you in the world. And did you notice what it said at the end of this passage? The result of all of this says, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, grew in numbers, lived in fear of the Lord. They were encouraged. They were strengthened. They grew in numbers. They lived in fear and awe of the Lord. And isn't that what we all want for Cornerstone? To be strengthened? To be encouraged by the Holy Spirit? To grow in number? To live in awe of the Lord? And I would submit to us that that how we can do that is if every one of us knows that God can use us. God can use you. You're not disqualified because of your past. Fear shouldn't stall us, and difficulties shouldn't discourage us because they're inevitable. But if we live in that way, we will be strengthened, we will be encouraged, we will grow, we will be able to live in awe of the Lord. So why does Saul begin going by the name Paul, his Hellenized name? The timing of Saul beginning to go by Paul, again, is not his conversion, but actually it's his missionary journeys to the Gentiles. He begins going by his Hellenized name. God had a task for Saul to reach the Gentiles, to reach the Hellenized world with the gospel. And and I would say Saul postures himself in such a way as to be most effective in seeking to reach the Gentile world. Instead of adding stumbling blocks, Saul seeks to build bridges. Going by the name Paul is seeking to build a bridge with those he is seeking to reach. Saul's posture of humility was that of his savior, Jesus, who though he was God and in heaven humbled himself, came to earth to save those he was called to save. Saul humbles himself and postures himself in such a way as to be, so as to be most effective in seeking to live out the calling that God had on his life. So the last question, what does it look like to build bridges with those we are called to reach with the gospel in Greeley? What does it look like for us to build bridges probably not going by a different name for us. But what does it look like for us to build bridges towards those we are seeking to bring the gospel to? God can use anyone. 
God will use anyone. God will use you. Your past doesn't disqualify you. Do not let fear stall you. And don't let difficulties discourage you. And in light of all that, Saul then seeks to build bridges with those he is seeking to reach. And we should too. And so in discipleship hour, the next hour, if you're staying, think about that question. What does it look like for us to build bridges with those that we are seeking to reach with the gospel in Greeley? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are good. You are good. Lord, you transformed Saul and you transform us. Lord, I pray that we would be used by you, that we would be open to how you would use us in the world. Lord, I pray that you would continually transform us so that we can better reach those with the gospel who do not net who do not yet know you and love you. Lord, help us. Help us to be instruments for you in the world. Praise all in your name. Amen.